The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello there, everyone. Welcome back to Everybody's Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf Review podcast featuring myself, the relative newbie, Adam Martin, and as always, my co-host... Phil Hawkins, the long-term fan of Red Dwarf out of the two of us. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the long-term newbie then. I was the like, long-term... Do you just... Uh, yeah, why not? Everybody's... Do you just stay forever a, a newbie? Yeah, just everyone's always stages. a newbie. <laughs> I like that. Well, we're back, as always, to talk about Red Dwarf. We're going through our journey from the very first episode all the way up to the most recent one, and we're on series 10, so we're getting there, we're firmly in the Dave era now, and we're going to be taking a look at episode 4 from series 10, which is ta- which is called Entangled. Um, just before we jump into it, Phil, uh, did, did, before you watched this, did you have any lasting memories from this, from when you watched it 10 years ago? No. no absolutely <laughs> none. Like, none, completely none. None at all, really. I couldn't remember much from this episode at all, in- at all, really. Um Interesting. Well, we'll see how much of it jogs your memory. The synopsis reads, after losing a game of poker, Lister is um, in a spot of trouble. And uh, concurrently, Crichton and Kat find themselves in a state of quantum entanglement, acting in absolute synchronicity. That's such a tough word, isn't it? Is it synchronicity, isn't it? That's how you say it, I think. I just can't pronounce words. This is like a rope. I can't say it. This is like that episode all over Ouroboros. again. Ouroboros, yeah, That's yeah, absolutely. Anytime I, we reference it, I'm just going to stop talking and let you fill the gap on that one because I, I can't get around <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently rehearsing to be in a play and I've got to say this Latin phrase that I am... Um, oh, God. I, ...that I I cannot quite get. Uh, and it's just fresh there. Yeah, so I, I feel your pain there. You feel me on that one. Excellent. Well, we'll see. We'll see how many times I can incorrectly say synchronicity during this episode. We'll see. Uh, so we start off. Um, Lister uh, gets a kebab. He ordered one, and a I've got to kebab. say, it's massive. And this took me right back to weekend nights out, you know. And you, it's four in the morning. You're very drunk, and you just you just want something greasy, and you go to the you go to the kebab shop and yeah, I mean, I don't See, know about I, you, Phil. I was always more of a, a cheesy chips kind of guy for my for my drunk food. See, I've developed into a cheesy chips guy as I've gotten older. I feel my kebab phase was very much like, you know, the first few years when you start going out. And I think it's partly because that was like the thing. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what yeah. everyone did. But yeah, it's the stereotype, isn't it? You go out, you have a drink, you have a kebab. Exactly. And me being a Donny lad, you know, the Donna kebab, it's sort of... Rang true. But um, yeah, it's absolutely filthy. There's malfunctions going on as he's dropping bits on it. He tries putting it out with beer, which I found quite amusing because he just does it very nonchalantly. Um, yeah, starts a fire with his kebab and then tries to put it out with uh, an electrical fire out with beer. Yeah. But then doesn't he put it out from how it looks just with the other fillings from the kebab? Yeah. Dumps... I, I wasn't entirely, that wasn't entirely clear what actually stopped the fire there. I thought, yeah, I thought that, that wasn't framed necessarily in a way that was very no, clear because because wasn't it the fillings that started the fire in the first place yeah so, yeah uh, red dwarf madness things start and end with that you know no explanation um but rimmer comes in and we get a nice little i guess little recap of the events of the end the very first episode you know where he talks about how 
he didn't, you know, um, seal the drive plate properly and everyone got killed and stuff like that. Yeah, because he's really up on the health and safety now. Um, you know, Rimmer loves loves a regulation, even he if he gets them does. wrong most of the time. So he's like talking about health and safety regulations, isn't he? And I, I really like this bit where they were like, uh, you know, going back to like, oh, yeah, you, you're you up on health and safety, are you? Like when you wiped out mo- all of the crew by not yeah. preparing something properly. The beautiful irony of the situation, I think, is always Ruth. And, and nice that he's gotten all upon safety just for this one episode. <laughs> in yeah, true and he fashion. tries to squirm out of it a little bit. He's like, you know, who ultimately was responsible for that accident? Yeah, he does the that man thing annoying. or the system. Yeah, he does that annoying thing people do where, like, you you catch him out for something, you've got evidence for it, and then they go, yeah, but. And then they, try, like you say, they try and wangle out. He's doing that, but yeah. But was it though? Was it uh, really? Yeah, exactly. Was it? Was it like that though? Really? Like, you know, good stuff. I mean, d- person, I don't know. Did this? Did this first scene feel a little too played out for you, Phil? Or were you happy with it? Or like, I mean, in in the um, in like the control room, if you like, when it was just Lister and Rimmer. Yeah, I think it's it's quite a throwaway scene. I think it's not anything particularly. I didn't dislike it. It's but it's not. Um, it's not yeah. one that's going to stick in my memory. I, apparently, this whole episode didn't stick in my memory. So <laughs> oh, I wonder if that's a sign like, of yeah, things to come. Maybe. We'll find out. But um, I've noticed that though over series ten so far, not all of them, but I feel some of the episodes we've looked at, like you say, the first scenes are just sort of throwaway. They're not necessarily the most like memorable of scenes which you know is is fine but you know sometimes you want them to stick make a punch and all that yeah i mean think back to some classic opening scenes you've got the like the conversation about uh the uh flintstones characters like that's yeah, a classic yeah. opener that it will always stay in my mind and this isn't anywhere near on that kind of level winter jokes and things no not on that same bar but whilst this is going on uh cat's moving around the ship he's hunting he's trying to hit very cat like i like yes, it he's back yes. to it. we've been saying that for this series he's back to sort of like almost like his series one series two sort of movements and doing that yeah and stuff exactly yeah and i think we've i think we both said we prefer i guess that style obviously he does get some development as it goes on but i mean we've said it before like i think later on he does sort of just become that punchline machine you know just comes in delivers a quip so yeah it's nice that more of the actual cat-like traits are coming in back again. Uh, Crichton's been experimenting. He says crystals from the quantum rod. Was that the rod from the um, the first episode of this series? Yeah, and I love the fact that they are going, like, they, they've done that a lot this series. There's references back to previous episodes in the series. We had it mm. in Lemons a bit as well, where they referenced some of something. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head now, but they referenced something from a previous episode. I think twice they referenced two different things from previous episodes. And they're doing it here. And it's just really nice that they've got this kind of um, uh, kind of continuity between the series. Yeah, it's like they make that little extra effort to try and make this all its own thing, which is great. Um, for some reason, uh, he, he figures out that these crystals can hone in on, here we go again, synchronicity. There, I got it. <laughs> and, and then from that, the two of them start speaking at the same time as each other simultaneously. And I've got to say that their syncing of each other seemed pretty flawless, didn't you think? Yeah, yeah, they timed that really well. It, um, that, I wonder how many rehearsals they had to go through to get that <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's not the it's not the only time they do it either. But I also think 
I'd like to think it probably wasn't as hard as it could have been, because I guess these guys have now, you know, been working together at this point for 20 plus years, you know. I guess yeah. you, you get in the groove of of how other people speak and talk. I guess it's like, you know, when Chris Barry does the impressions of, of the rest of them, and we always compliment how good he is. But I guess even though he's a very good impressionist, he's been working with them for so long, he probably knows all, like, the, the little facets in and out. Yeah. Yeah, I love the joke as well when he talks about Crichton's like, oh, someone wrote a book on this, and it happens to be the book that Cat is holding. I yes, and the, just guy. the way his facial expression as he kind of, like, slowly raises the book is great. Yeah. It's a fantastic gag. And there's there's a lot of good light of the, the synchro gags, if you like, but we'll come to them. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of making... So the crystals are kind of making... Isn't it that they're making... They're speaking together because they're making coincidences more like. Yeah, so it, they explain that when they're if when their emotions are heightened, a coincidence is more likely to happen. I think that's something along those lines. And then the crystal exacerbates that to create short periods where they are perfectly in sync. I think that's the explanation anyway. Yeah. If memory serves. But Crichton heads to the bunk only to find that Lister is outside the ship. Um, he claims he forgot his key. I thought that was a cute little gag. Um He'd gone down to a moon that he found at the start of the episode. He found life signs there. And again, we get a little Kachansky reference. Yes. Which we've said they've done maintains. one each episode so far. Yep. Yeah. I definitely think we're building some here, Phil. I know you can't say anything, but at this point, either it's just a very recurring running gag or they're definitely building to something. So we'll see. Um, but he's come. why has he come back in a spacesuit? You know, why hasn't he come back via Starbug? Well, turns out he's lost it. He lost it in a in a game of poker, but that's not the only thing he's lost, is it, Phil? No, he's also no. lost Rimmer. Not that Rimmer was with him. Rimmer doesn't know this yet, but he is um he owes Rimmer to the yeah. Begs. Begs, was it? Yeah, he says the Begs, although for some reason on IMDB for their synopsis, it says when he loses a poker game to the Gelfs. And I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure he didn't say it was the Gelfs, although I mean there's a point on that I'll come to a bit later, but they yeah. didn't. But they these are, I mean, what because it stands for I think biological engineered garbage guzzlers or something like Some, that. Yeah, or and made by humans to yeah. So up they garbage, so they yeah. are because Gelf stands for genetically engineered life form. So they are still, I suppose, a Gelf. They're just a very specific type of Gelf. Yeah, um, we're getting into Gelf law now. Gelf law, all the specific <laughs> deep, kinds. Deep Gelf law. Deep Gelf law. Um, so the, yeah, I... Begs are a subset of Gelfs, I think. Mm. And as you say, Rimmer doesn't know this yet. Uh, Lister owes him. Uh, meanwhile, Crichton's drying spoons um, with his heat outlet. I'll say in quotation marks, which just looks like he's using um, his bottom to do so. Which I found. On one hand, very juvenile, but also very funny because there's no context for it. He literally just starts doing it. And I think that's what makes it funny. Um, it's sort of along the same sort of level as the when he had the groinal attachment to Hoover. Oh, God. <laughs> I forgot about the groinal attachment. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and uh, Rimmer comes in, starts talking about, you know, the rules again. And Crichton's trying to, um, but well, bail Lister out, I suppose, you know, saying... Uh, not wanting to tell him the truth, how the papers accidentally fell out of the airlock, which then excites Rimmer because he says, oh, I could give him more papers and all this sort of stuff. Did you did you think this scene worked, this little thing between Crichton and Rimmer? Well, I didn't write any notes about it, so... I didn't either. I, I, think, I thought it again, was a nice idea, but yeah. Yeah, I think, again, it's a fine scene that I just didn't really have any thoughts on. 
So, yeah, yeah there's a few way. of them this episode. Spoiler yeah. alert, but um, so and not bad, not bad, but no, no, just no not nothing bad. of note. Uh, we come back to the uh, the cockpit, if you like, where uh, Lister's there in his dressing gown. It seems like he's been up all night. And we get more of a conversation because Crichton's tried to convince Rimmer that, you know, Lister's all about the rules now and Rimmer's very proud of him, how he's and all this sort of stuff. And of course, is this where Lister... the cat's there as well? And they're talking about him helping. Uh, uh, almost. It, this is oh, just okay. these two at the minute. But ju- just before the others come in. I wrote in my notes, I thought, I don't know what it is, but the the banter between Lister and Rimmer in this scene and a little bit at the beginning as well, I, I hate to say it, it, it just felt a little stale, um, which is unusual for these two, because normally we always compliment like how good, you know, Lister-Rimmer scenes are where it's just them. But again, I don't know about you, it just felt like it didn't have as much, um, I don't know, like as much life or as much energy to it. Um, what were your mm. thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not up to the level of some of their scenes, even some of their scenes. I'm not just talking about like from series like six or five mm. where it was like peak, peak sort of like their relationship. But no, even like yeah, this, yeah. even this series is not quite up to that level, I think. No. So as you said, this is where the others come in and um, they, you know, he's asking him for help. And were you talk- about to talk about Kat? Yeah, story. I love it. I, I love Cats being this. And he goes, I'm not here to help. Read my CV. Does not help. Does not clean. Will have sex with anything. Yes, which is something that they, they haven't mentioned in ages. Because again, first few series, that was always a thing, wasn't it? How basically how Randy was and how he'd, how he'd make love to anything. But then they sort of dropped that motif, I think, quite a bit. But yeah, so... A little bit of cat continuity, but a surprise rhyme from Danny John Jules. We love a bit of a... It's like the I'm going to get you little fishy, but different. So, yeah. Um, but then Lister has to reveal, you know, what's going on. Why? What are they going to do? Because they suggest that, oh, we can outrun the, the begs. We'll just fly away. Can't do that because Lister has a groin exploder attached. A very imaginative name, wouldn't you say, Phil? Yeah, very that's not something you want attached to. <laughs> Not at all. This big metal contraption. And if he fails on his debt, uh, well, I think, I think, dear viewer, you can, um, if you're not familiar with this episode, I'm sure you can imagine what will happen. Um, so seeing no other exactly choice. exactly what it says on the tin. It quite literally does what it says on the tin. Uh, so to hopefully avoid this, they travel to the planet of the Begs. And this is why I wrote, when we see them, like you say, they look like a variation of Gelf. Yeah, like the they, creatures they do themselves. look like Gelf. Yeah, it's yeah. not exactly the same, but that you can see that they're related. Exactly. And it's odd, isn't it? Because I think they, as you say, they don't actually say the word Gelf in this entire episode, do they? Unless I No, I don't think so. But it is on the description. Like you say, it's on the description on IMDb. Yeah. So I don't know if it was that was an official synopsis that was released. I don't know. I feel maybe but... we could have even just had one line just sort of saying, oh, you know, they're like a subsection of Gelf, like you said, or something. I don't know. Something yeah. Like that. But I was going to mention just quickly the, um, the landing shot of Blue Midget going down to the planet. I actually thought that looked really good, like the mountains and everything. Yeah. Um, I assume, I don't know if that was a matte painting or CGI or, or what it was, but it, it looked, obviously the ship was CGI, but it looked really good. And it's a nice refreshing change from the CGI we'd had for the last few years, you know, Back to Earth and uh, before that, even in Series 8 and stuff. Uh, by this point, mm. what are we, 2012, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. So the CGI has come along a lot way... Long, oh yeah, it's long certainly de- 
certainly developed to a point where even on a, a small budget, you can say, yeah, it's pretty decent. So, yeah, yeah I absolutely agree good. with you. They try and bargain with the begs to try and get out of it. And yeah, they this, say, hey, this on, scene, sorry. this scene mirrors very much the Gelf scene from uh, years ago when they were bargaining with oh, Gelf. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. got Crichton doing the interpretation in, I think, pretty much the same seating and standing positions that they're in here. It's pretty much like a mirror for that, which I thought was interesting. I wonder if that was deliberate. Mm, I was going to say, would you say that's a deliberate callback or lazy yeah, recycling? <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> well, um, I would hope a deliberate callback and reference. Yeah, yeah, and a good one. But I mean, they offer the spoon of destiny, uh, where they say it can control all things. But then the Becks make a very good point, which is if it controls all things, why are you giving it up? <laughs> and then Lister just goes, well, we just don't really use it much anymore. And um, it's a good question. Yeah. And I thought that delivery was great. That just sort of like, yeah, you know, we just don't use it. Um, I love how they call Rimmer the sexy light man. <laughs> That's yes. what we were, which uh, made me chuckle quite a bit. Um, but they challenge them to another, another card game uh, with everyone at stake this time. And they think, we've got nothing to lose, so let's do it. But then uh, they start talking about choking, don't they, in terms of, like, card games. Like, you know, you get you go so far, but then you choke and you lose. And uh, the Begs start choking to death and do eventually die. What a coincidence. Yes, and if you've been paying attention, uh, dear viewer, you will know this is a, a result from Cat and Crichton's synchronicity. There, I got it right. Synchronicity from the crystal, so... So what did they say? They they were obviously heightened emotions and they were talking about choking. Therefore, that coincidentally led to them because they debunk, you know, when one of them says, so you killed them. They go, well, no, technically not. It was just a coincidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chryson says, oh, no, that that was always going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a bit bit um bit techno babbly kind of like yeah let's just brush this under the carpet it's yeah. we didn't In cause it red dwarf fashion yeah let's just forget let's just forget it, about it yeah yeah well now that they're out of the way the, but they still have to get rid of the groin exploder and now that the uh, begs have gone it's looking a little bit looking a little bit hopeless really but they then decide to try and use Crichton and cat synchronicity to try and find the answer and I, I like this bit, you know, where they figure out where to go. Yeah, and I really like the little black and white sort of film that comes on the TV that gives them the clues. Mm. Which, for honestly, for a few seconds, I thought was a clip from a real film because it, it, it mirrored that that era so well. But obviously it's not. It's just some actors. I think it is anyway. It's a made up film. But, yeah, uh, I think so. So they work out that they need to find the manufacturer of the device uh, and they are going to find them at Error. Um, which is basically a hub for, and this this I found a bit long-winded. I think I had to watch this twice just to get it in my head. This was a place, because in the scientific community, two wrongs make a right, isn't it? That's what they say. So Do they? they? Feel, I don't know. It's something like, were you like this as well? Because like, it's something to do with, they took all the like people who were just wrong about everything or whatever, put them in a place, and then from all those wrongs, they will make rights, I, I think. Um, but then it all went disastrously wrong, and now the place is abandoned or something. Yeah, so they, <laughs> something yeah, they, to that they came effect. up. That was it. They kept, Brighton goes on about how they had this. The scientists got together and had this theory that two wrongs make a right, and there and they're, so they 
build a spaceship, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's, is it Cat that goes, did it work? And he was like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, which did get me. And I like the kinds of people he mentions, like TV critics, weathermen, all that sort of stuff. That that got a little giggle. But I, I, the explanation, as I said, it, it felt a bit long-winded and quick. They're zipping through it. And I know they have to because they're short episodes, but I don't know. What did you think? It just sort of, yeah. What did you, yeah, just, did you have any thoughts on like this? Oh, well, this the clues idea? and stuff. I think it was... Um... Or, or the idea about the space station. Just the idea of error, the space yeah, station. Yeah, I yeah, I think they set it up fine. You know, when they got there, they had to go yeah. press the wrong way on the elevator. I think it kind of established the basic of the... I think they'd done too much of it. It would have been a bit played out. Bit they, got, they got to the scientist fairly yeah. quickly. Uh, fair, yeah, I know for sure. Yeah, the scientist, of course, they get to the stasis booth. Um, and I love how when Rimmer goes through the wall, he has to change to... Uh, soft light his outfit changes color yeah it does although i do have a question a logistical question about that oh, how does his light be go through the wall uh, oh that's a is so is it implied then when in solid light the light be itself becomes like soft light if you get me yeah i guess maybe. and then in, if he got shut down in soft light mode then the light be returns to like its solid state i guess yeah i think yeah, i'm probably cause... overthinking that I was trying. Has he walked through walls before in the show? Yeah, well, definitely he has, but I can't remember if he has done since he got the light beer. Hmm. We'll have to dive through that. If you remember that, Eagle listener, then please let us know in the comments. Um, but Rimmer reports that he's found uh, a stasis pod with someone, and he gives this description of like how tall they are, what they look like. And again, we get another Kachansky reference. Yeah, because um, uh, Listing is like, that matches to Kachansky. And of course, because they're in this like, situation where coincidences are happening because of the, the entanglement thing you know yeah. it is entirely plausible that by coincidence kachansky would be in suspended animation on this and ship it could be her yeah and lister tries to play it off he's like no can't possibly be but then the minute cat says oh but it could be he's like oh do you think like i love that um but sure enough rimmer comes out and says he's found the professor um and who is a gorilla <laughs> yes interesting uh, fact, like i looked up the person that is playing the gorilla um it's played by a guy called peter elliott and okay basically peter elliott has made a career about playing primates oh really <laughs> he, he, his imdb says peter elliott is the film industry's primary primate he's worked <laughs> in films like missing link 1988 the island oh, of dr monroe 1996 gorillas in the mist uh congo he's just basically played like Bloody he's hell. been in tar tarzan films 2013's tarzan film he's been in uh planet of the apes things he's yeah 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 basically i mean i don't know if he does other stuff as well but he does a lot of chimps and well gorillas. i mean if he if uh, he does it well he played it very well the movements and all that were great um yeah so this is Professor Edgington, and it's revealed that um, in an experiment to, I think, advance evolution, um, it obviously went wrong because error is the place where things go wrong. And she devolutes uh, de basically back to like a, a more primal state. And but they find they find a device that she the the device itself, and Crichton somehow is just able to get it working correctly. I guess because he's not a wrong person. Yeah, and they get her back to her human form, but she, of course she's naked. And what did you think of this joke, Phil? Um, well, I, I think 
because Rimmer is particularly, I mean, they're all kind of ogling her. Yeah. But Rimmer is the one that wants her to stay naked, particularly. Yeah. Um, which yeah. kind of does fit with his character. Um, and so it, it makes sense. Like, whereas Lister is a little bit more chivalrous and takes her over a coat. Yeah, so, exactly. So, I feel it was labored on a tiny bit too much. I agree with everything yeah. you said, like about this is part of Rimmer's character and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel it just, it was one joke too long. I think it just, yeah, started getting little flashbacks of Series 8 Crichty TV vibes. And I was like, no, 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 we're not doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> we're not doing that again. But um, Professor E meets the team, as it were, and um, they start to get to work on. Um, getting rid of the groin exploder but it's noticed she takes a shine to to rimmer and yeah. it's quite funny why really isn't it of course because she gets everything wrong <laughs> so yeah. of course she fancies rimmer yeah because she finds all of his traits uh, amazing so, yeah she also um, thinks the but their bunk room is charming that lister can play his instrument which she thinks is a trumpet and exactly. her glasses are constantly upside down which I, f- I found very amusing. Like, I don't know why. It's such a small touch. They don't address it, but it just it tickled me that her glasses were upside down. But they start to dismantle the device. They have to put uh, five symbols in the correct order, and they've not got much time to do it. So, of course, they ask the doctor, and um, she's not sure, is she? She can't quite remember the the right order. No. Well, yeah, no. she's... Yeah, they're asking her, is it this one first? And she's like, that one. No, that one. No, that one. No, that one. Um, and basically, they just go with the one that she never mentions at all. Yeah, which is a good selection process, <laughs> yeah. really. This whole thing reminded me of the, if you've ever seen, you know, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire cheating thing, where the guy like says all the answers, but he's never sh- to wait for the signal. But he just, just that selection where she's like, oh, it's beta. Oh, no, but it could be gamma. Or it could be alpha. It just reminded me of that whole thing. Yeah. Made me chuckle. Um, but in the end, we get to the last one. And once again, there's two options left. She's not She's not quite sure. She's not quite sure whether it could be, uh, I can't remember which two, uh, it's Beta and uh, Gamma, is it, that are left? or I can't remember. Two of them, Beta's one of them, yeah, but two of them are left. And then Cat and Crichton, again, their synchronicity comes to the rescue. Um, they dismantle her name, don't they? Saying how she likes to be Professor E. Her name's Irene, so Iron E. And how it would be ironic if it was, if, if for once... She actually got something right. And sure enough, she does. Although I did notice, Phil, we see the screen when he presses that that one, the beta, but then we don't see him press the final one that's left. Oh, the thing right. just falls off Lister. Okay. I mean, yes, he probably did it off screen. I'm being very nitpicky. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, but Lister is free. All is well. And uh, it as we draw to the end, Rimmer looks like he might be in luck. Yeah. Uh, for like once. Yeah, lucky. <laughs> Yeah, she wants, yeah. She, she wants to, you know, get it on. Yeah. She says, yeah, we're wrong. And I thought they were going to go down the route of like, he says it's right, but because she gets everything wrong, that wouldn't be okay. But they, they did. That, that, what no. they did was much better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as you say, it looks like Rim is finally going to get lucky with, with a woman that he likes and she likes him. Um, but Lister comes back from the airlock with, with the papers, ironically. Uh, accidentally makes a trip and she falls into the airlock and because she's wrong she presses the buttons and she gets ejected into space and um <laughs> lister in his comforting moments simply asks have you got a pen so he can start on the paper i really like this ending you know 
Yeah, it's a good ending. Yeah. In an otherwise episode that I sort of found a bit, I don't know, like underwhelming or a bit like not very memorable. I did like how it ended. I felt it has one of the stronger endings. But um, but yeah, I mean, that is that is entangled uh, in a nutshell. So before we get to our final ratings, then, uh, Phil, who is your favorite character in this? Um, I I think I'm going to go with Rimmer. I was toying between Rimmer and Kat because Kat has a lot of nice little like he the whole of this series actually he's had like he's not the focus at all in anything but Mm. he feels like he's being used probably the best he's been used since like the first two series and that's a refreshing change so and i thought he was used quite well here but i think i just about have to give it to rimmer um it's not too much in it but yeah rimmer what about you Oh, fair enough. I, I went for Professor E. Okay. Um, I really liked her performance. I liked how she she was like, obviously the character's wrong and she got that across, but I felt it wasn't overplayed. I think it would have been very easy to like properly ham it up and make it very silly. Um, but I feel the the actor who played her struck, uh, struck a good balance, basically. And I, re- I really liked her. I hope she, with that final scene, you know, before she got ejected, I thought, ooh, you know, we're on the last seat. Is she going to stick around I know. for another episode or two? But no, she's no. she's she's pretty much dead. We do not have another <laughs> human surviving. Unlucky. Very unlucky. But um, And what about your funniest moment? My funniest moment, um, I think, is a line when the ape comes out, uh, when the chimp, or chimp ape, whatever it is, uh, mm. comes out and... Uh, this is just after the Kachansky stuff. So he's like, before they reveal it's an ape and it's the professor. So they've been yeah. guessing who it might be Kachansky. And Dave just goes, Well, it's definitely not Kachansky. She went for me groin. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, well, that made good me gag. laugh good out loud, gag. that gag. And I really like that one. That was a good gag. Oh, I'm glad you had one laugh out loud gag, at least in this one. That's good. Um, for me, it's probably going to be the ending. Again, just that last scene, I think, is played really well. The physical comedy's done really well. The last line's delivered great. Um, it's it's the bit that made me laugh the most, honestly. Close second would probably be the little uh, little rhyme that Cat sings through about his CV. Yeah, that um, was a potential for me as well. Yeah, but no, I've got to give it to the ending. And finally, Phil, how many scutters out of 10 would you give Entangled? I'm going to give it six and a half. It's mm. not a bad episode. It's not like I wasn't bored at all. I was no, I didn't no. think I wasn't thinking watching it thinking, oh god, this is really rubbish. It's just a lot of it. I was watching it not thinking much about it at all. There wasn't a, it didn't it didn't kind of evoke much reaction in me at all, which is Yeah. I don't know, is that the worst thing to for an episode to be? At least if you hate something, you feel passionate about it. <laughs> but it's just kind of all a bit like, eh, it's all right. No, I agree with what you're saying. Um, it's funny, we're actually on the same wavelength today because I gave it a 6.5 as well. Um, yeah, I just think, like you say, it's not one of the like best. It's you know There are worse as well, but I think it just felt very like run-of-the-mill in the sense that, I mean, yes, there was a unique plot thing, but as I said, there weren't many like laugh-out-loud moments for me, a lot of like throwaway stuff. And again, it, the energy just didn't seem to be on firing on all cylinders for this one, so... Mm. yeah 6.5 so pretty okay pretty average then we'll see if we remember this one if we ever do a a tier list again see how much we remember about it um but yeah that dear listener is 
entangled. Um, if We want to know your thoughts as well, though. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, you can let us know in the comments. If you're listening on Spotify or anything else, just head over to YouTube on Phil's channel and um, you can leave your comments there because we always like your feedback. And uh, speak of, uh, Phil, how can they find your channel if they want to do that? It's just my name, Philip Hawkins. You can find me. It's a picture of... I think it's still a picture of me. Have I changed it? Oh, no. Now I'm done what it's, the picture is. Still I think a picture it's still of me a picture in front of, of the TARDIS, you. Randalls. I think so, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and or in front of the TARDIS. I might have changed it. Either way, it's something Doctor Who related. Me in front of, in front of something Doctor Who related. And uh, Philip Hawkins, you can watch this area. I also talk about other geeky pop culture like Doctor Who and other stuff. So, um, yeah, check that out. And... Uh, leave a comment on this video yes please do um and if you want to find any of my stuff then it's adam martin on youtube that's martin with the y you can also find me on twitter at adam martin amtv the podcast also has a twitter at all dead dave pod you can go and give us a follow there and um, if you want to pick up any uh, um, everybody's dead dave merch then you can we have a link to our store where you can get t-shirts mugs lots of cool stuff there so go and check that out as well in the meantime, we'll be back uh, next week for episode five, which is titled Dear Dave. We're racing towards the end of series 10, Phil, and we've got two more episodes left. So next week, we'll be tackling episode five, which is titled Dear Dave. We're racing through these, and we've got two more episodes of series 10 left. But we hope to see you there, so tune into that one. And in the meantime, from myself and from Phil, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>